It's gonna be a good day. Monday we do have a little bit left available here. Check us out familyfarmbeefbox.com. Thanks. Have a good day. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Dolan, and this is our Globalist in Plain Sight show. This is a show that we began in May of 2022 to discuss and focus on the World Health Organization. But obviously, we have expanded it because of things that are happening in Ukraine, as well as in Middle East and uh, Indo-Pacific, as Joe Biden referred to the issue between China and Taiwan. But today, we're going to focus on WHO. This past week, there was a meeting up on Capitol Hill to discuss WHO. And we're, we're glad to have with us today uh, David Bell, who's a contributing editor for us, um, Merle Nass, who uh, was at the meeting, as well as David, and Frank Gaffney, who's the co-chair of Sovereignty Coalition. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks. So, Merle, let's begin with you, because um, you were the one who first told me about this meeting. And let's just do a snapshot about where, you know, why it was so important for all of you to go up to Capitol Hill and to educate everybody up there about um, what's going on with the WHO. The WHO, um, with the full backing and support um, of the United States government, has initiated two new documents that will completely change the relationship between the United States and other countries and the WHO and enable the WHO to govern the rest of the world over health. These documents are a proposed pandemic treaty and massive amendments to the international, the existing international health regulations. Both of these documents are planned to be binding, which means that they will be able to issue direct, the WHO can issue directives and the nations will need to obey them. These two documents are due to be completed and come up for either a vote or a consensus process with no vote in May of 2024. And it's critically important that members of Congress understand what's going on with them. In addition, the House has voted in the Foreign Operations Bill to defund the WHO. The majority Republican House has understood this problem to agree and defunded the WHO, but there is no companion bill in the Senate. Senators are not aware of the issue and we wanted to educate them as well that they have something important they need to do in the next few weeks. All right, so um, Frank, let me turn to you because you're, you're Washington insider. You and I have been friends for a long period of time. What's your take about how much people on the Hill understand the importance of this issue? Are, are they there yet or is this gonna be an uphill battle? I think there are a handful of people who do understand what's afoot, um, they have been very forthright about it, uh, notably, um, uh, I think the uh, the people who came together uh, to, you know, raise awareness about this in a press conference uh, several months ago, under uh, leadership really of Ralph Norman, uh, South Carolina, but Oklahoma. Um, what I don't believe it's Oklahoma, uh, but. What I believe has been really important here has been that um, over time, some other key people, uh, including uh, Mario Diaz-Balart, the subcommittee chairman of the appropriations subcommittee that oversees uh, foreign operations, including the World Health Operation uh, operations, has 
uh, organization rather, has been um, clued up about it. And that has led to a really singular result, which I think is of vital importance to uh, this conversation and to the future of our country. Namely, the House of Representatives has zeroed out the funding for the World Health Organization in this fiscal year and said, you won't get any more unless the two documents that Merrill just described are brought to the United States Senate for their formal advice and consent, meaning that you have to have a two-thirds majority mm -hmm. to endorse it. If that doesn't happen, uh, then, you know, no money. That's not the final word. Of course, Christine, as you know, is another Washington insider. Um, there's a lot of uh, fulmination going on about uh, the budget and the funding and the appropriations bills and all that. So what we're hoping people listening to this program and listening to the Sovereignty Coalition sponsored program this week, uh, which was uh, live streamed, but I'm really delighted to say by Epic Times, um, will take away from all of this is they need to become engaged in helping us save our sovereignty and our personal medical freedom. So, Frank, are we at the point where we're going to see this as part of the 2024 platforms? Are we going to see this in the presidential campaign? Will we see it on the debate? Because we have not yet had, we've had, what, uh, three debates? I have yet to hear anybody raising the question about um, the World Health Organization. And I don't know if it's because of, you know, <laughs> My, my media brethren being ignorant of this, or is it just, you know, I would tend to think that somebody running for president would want to bring this up. I mean, Donald Trump brought up the WHO. I mean, he basically said, we're not going to fund you before. I know Bobby Kennedy's talked about this, but I mean, is anybody else out there going to speak about this, do you think? Well, the guy who didn't participate in any of those, uh, but is, you know, 40, 50, 60 points ahead of the pack, uh, Donald Trump has explicitly said he would redo what he did while in office, which is to disengage us from the World Health Organization. I, I think that's a pretty big deal. And will it, uh, you know, emerge as an issue? I think it will because, well, people like you, Christine, are helping us get the word around. And the more the American people understand about what's going on here, uh, the more insistent they will be, I think, that, um, that we, in fact, withdraw from the WHO, we stop funding it, and we not allow it to infringe upon, let alone destroy, um, the sovereignty that's crucial to our constitutional republic. David, let me bring you in on the conversation, because this is your world. I mean, you've, you you know these people at the WHO. What happened to the WHO that they want to do this? What, what, um, what's the real purpose of wanting to get control? Well, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know the underlying purpose in the end or who is running this. The WHO is very much a tool. I mean, I, I think this is why this is so strange that it has somehow become partisan and absolutely shouldn't be. The, you know, we're talking about an organisation that is now very significantly privately funded by, you know, direct corporate interests who will benefit from what they're trying to do. This is essentially, it's a business ploy by large pharma and their investors. In a, to a large extent. Um, it, it's responsible to countries. Half of those countries don't pretend to be democratic or resp you know, responsive as governments to their people's needs. Um, we, we, it's an organisation that has a very poor track record. And the reason, one of the reasons for that in health emergencies is because a centralised response is such a bad idea from a public health point of view, as we saw in COVID, where you know, the, 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 they push the same response on the whole world, yet, you know, someone in a nursing home in New Jersey is very different from a mother with sick kids in Malawi, and the risks were totally different. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen a, a record increase in poverty, um, record increase in food insecurity, a record increase in loss of education, which is future poverty in the world, which is going to affect us all because of these policies. So. They have a terrible track record, but they it's it's you know, you don't give your personal freedom, your bodily autonomy, your control over your health to a non a non um accountable. You know, accountable, thank you, um group of people in another country who are you know sponsored by private investments. It is it's just a ludicrous thing. And as Meryl said, this this is happening. Um, the, the main purpose of the IHR amendments 
is to change what are now recommendations to um, requirements, which, and these include border closures, they include not being able to go out, they include not being able to visit your family, they include mandated medicine and medical examination. So the, anyone vaguely interested in human rights and democracy should be against this. And we, we have a mantra coming from the WHO Director General that this doesn't in, involve sovereignty and that um, you know, the, 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 there's some sort of misinformation saying that, but it is there in the documents. That's the whole purpose of this, is to concentrate power in the WHO and allow the WHO to essentially dictate what the rest of the world does. Uh, the, the, the other issue I just bring up quickly is that this is for medical emergencies, pandemics. You know, the, if you look at the disease burden on Earth, which the WHO is supposed to be Response, you know, responsive to. Uh, this is like small percents at most of mortality, even during the height of COVID in the United States, which had about the highest mortality per population on Earth recorded. Cancer deaths, cardiovascular deaths, etc., were were higher than COVID ever got. So uh, we, we talk, you know, the WHO considers only in the last century before COVID, there's a two influenza pandemics, which killed more people, less people than die from TB. So it's a tiny problem. So if you look at it from this point of view, it's essentially a made up problem. It's a sponsored organization. This is a business issue for large pharma. And the way that politicians are well, seemingly ignorant and the media is silent on this is, I mean, that, that shows you, I think, who is behind it in a way and who this is serving to answer your first question. But it, it, um, yeah, it's what it is. Let me, let me ask you guys for, from a practical point of view, because Merle and David, you're both physicians, okay? You're trained doctors. Um, how, because I, I, I always believe that when you have something that is you know, like this, it's an issue that sometimes it doesn't land on the kitchen table. Let, what happens, Merle? Let's start with you. What happens to the patient? What happens to the patient-doctor relationship under this new model of the WHO? I mean, the way that I've explained it to people is you're going to have Tedros, who's not even a doctor, who's a, the head of WHO with six regional guys making the decision of what happens in Nebraska and Kansas. But what happens in terms of the patient-doctor relationship? Because as we know, the medical boards here in the United States have gone after doctors like you, Mural, who, you know, who, who object to uh, some of the dictates, you know, by the medical board. So what happens under this? If they, if people didn't like what happened under COVID, what's going to happen with this model? Yeah. So this is not just the WHO. This is a globalist plan to take authority away from individual nation states and concentrate it in an organization that has a small budget that they totally control. The budget right now for the WHO is three and a half billion dollars a year. You know, it's half the budget of Vermont. And we want to give half of Vermont, you know, control over health for the whole country. They don't even have that many infectious disease specialists on, on the staff. They don't know much. What did they do during the last pandemic? They called the health ministries around the world and told them to control the use, stop the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, and to give vaccines out. Um, so the they do what their funders tell them to do, and that is what they will do in future. Um, what happened, but this didn't only happen through the WHO. So Governor Newsom in California attempted a bill. He actually, a bill was passed in California that's now been withdrawn um, to stop doctors from giving their patients information in the examining room about what they think regarding the proper treatment of a pandemic is. They could only put out the government or the WHO's narrative, that's it. And they could go to jail or be fined. Something similar was passed in New Brunswick in Canada. So, and uh, you know, I lost my medical license, which is still suspended. It's been almost two years. Um, Dr. Trozzi just lost his medical license in Ontario, Canada because we were telling the truth about COVID and about the drugs that were useful and about the vaccines, et cetera. We were taking care of our patients to the best of our ability, researching 
finding out what was real and providing it. And they don't want anyone to be able to do that. So if you want your own personal doctor to be gagged and to produce, provide you with only what Tedros says, and Tedros does what Bill Gates tells him to do, or what Xi Jinping tells him to do, if you want that to be how your healthcare is run in the future, don't do anything and it will happen. But we have to fight back. This is this is just, you know, this is really the worst thing that's happened in my lifetime. It's a giving up of everything we fought for in the revolution, the War of 1812. This is that what has happened is there's something called One Health, which is another crazy idea, just like this one, which rolls up everything in the world into health. So health, so climate change is harmful to health. So climate change is now part of health. Um, animals, plants, and ecosystems all affect health. Now they're rolled up into health. This will allow the Director General of the WHO to order lockdowns or other things on the basis of climate, on the basis of biodiversity, on the basis of um, too much methane being belched by cows in the atmosphere, so you have to kill half your cows. Um, this is They're going to tell us to eat crickets because that's going to save the planet in their view. And um, this, is, this, this is so potentially big, um, everybody needs to become aware of it and uh, say no and tell all your elected representatives at every level of government no, because it's, it's likely we can stop this at the state level or at the county level, as well as at the federal level. David, what, what about that relationship between a patient and a doctor? I mean, you're originally from Australia. When you talk to your mates down in Australia, have they, have they woken up to this issue? Because it's not just, I mean, this is not the U.S. versus WHO. This is every country in the world. Yeah, most, most people have not, no. Um, a lot of people in Australia think that they were saved from a, a chaos that engulfed the rest of the world, and that reflects... In fact, you know, people in the Western world have trusted their media. They've trusted the mainstream media. And in Australia, it's the Australian Broadcasting Corporation is the purveyor of all truth. And um, <coughs> they were told that America was in chaos throughout COVID. They were told that all the hospitals were overflowing, etc. It was propaganda, but people in the West, I think in general, they don't understand that the world is not at least what we thought it was or what it was so that now there's a huge influence of very large money and very very wealthy people over politicians and over media and it's very explicitly you know, the media is directly sponsored the largest um funders of mainstream media in most of the western world are big pharma and governments so media to survive will do what they say so i think western society is I've characterized it like you know, boiling a frog where you slowly turn up the heat and people don't notice that things are changing. But what Merrill was just describing, what we're talking about here, five years ago, no one would have believed that we'd even be discussing this. Uh, the idea that we would give up health care to some organization somewhere else in the world over a problem that you know, from a natural, certainly from the point of nature, it's extremely rare, extremely low impact on almost all people. And that we would just give up our right to decide, you know, even as we saw in COVID, to go to our mother's funeral. You know, no one would have believed that, but now it's sort of becoming accepted. And this is, I mean, this is how, you know, fascism happens, essentially, you know, the, the where we got to in, and it is a good comparison for 1930s Europe, mm. where the, the world went from what they thought was open democracies to very strict, and it turned out extremely nasty, toxic dictatorships, but it didn't sort of go there suddenly overnight. This is something that is slowly wound up. We're slowly seeing a winding down of individual sovereignty in the you know, with the, the idea, people are denigrating the idea that people think for themselves on comedy shows. So, you know, the, the idea that people are doing their own research, shock horror, the idea that um, you, you should be able to decide whether you're injected with an experimental drug or not. You know, 
of course you should decide, but it's become in our society and very much in Australia, I think, that if you do that, you're, you're labelled as far right as conspiracy theorists, etc. And that's purely a construct of the media, which has just been drummed into us. All right, we're going to take a break. Coming out of that, Frank, I want to I want to turn it to you. So I want you to think about this during the break. How did we get to the point of fascism is acceptable on K Street in Washington? Because this is the mindset. This is I don't believe this is the mindset of local communities and counties and rural areas, but it certainly is the mindset of Washington D.C. I'm David Cross, and you may know me from my election integrity work, but I also own U.S. Asset Management, a family-owned and operated investment advisory practice. I'm a certified portfolio manager, and my job is to help you make better decisions with your money. One of the things we try to avoid is investing in companies that push the woke agenda. If you're invested with one of the big firms out there, there's a pretty good chance that you're feeding the beast that hates your values. Our company is 100% conservative, and we'd love to have an opportunity to work with you. Check us out at us-am.com and look for our big, proud American Eagle logo. Okay, Mr. Gaffney, um, you and I have not always agreed on the same politics, but I certainly have uh, evolved to become more conservative than even some of my conservative <laughs> friends over the years, as you well know. In a um, long way, baby. I know, a long way. So so I, I want to ask, Frank, how did we get to this point? Because, I mean, this is acceptable now with people you and I have socialized with and worked with in Washington, D.C., and I am just... You know, it was like 2020. I was shocked that everybody was walking to the cliff. Now, um, um, I, you know, we don't recognize, you know, when somebody does mass murders in Israel, that that's unacceptable human behavior. So how did we get to this point where it's OK to take away people's civil rights? Because that's what I think people want to know. What is going on in Washington? Yeah, well, it's unfortunately not just in Washington. What what my two really distinguished colleagues, and let me just say, these are two of the finest, not just medical practitioners I've ever encountered, but finest human beings. And uh, it's a privilege to be able to work with them. Um, I, I, I would probably uh, just uh, adjust a little bit one of the things that has been said, which is responsive to your question. Um, I think Big Pharma is one of the forces that is work behind what's being done here. and and. What David and Merrill have both said is the World Health Organization is being manipulated by the funders uh, to do things that they want done in their respective interest. I would just add that I think in addition to Bill Gates and uh, in, in our program on Wednesday, um, Christine, I think you noticed that uh, um, uh, Catherine Austin Fitz had a terrific clip of Bill Gates just boasting about how he has made 20 times the investment right. he made in uh, this injection and jab and you know all of the the uh, vac vaccines uh, and, and you know uh, that's a motivation for him but unfortunately I think it's also important to say that how we got here is that people in addition to the World Economic Forum, in addition to Big Pharma, in addition to Bill Gates, in addition to the Biden administration, people like the Chinese Communist Party, as Merrill just noticed, um, are all about trying to use this as a vehicle for establishing what they've called global governance. And that's not just the profit motive, that is about control. Mm -hmm. And people have gotten on board with this, I think, Maybe it's in Wall Street lobbying firms, I don't know, but certainly in the Biden administration, certainly in the World Economic Forum, certainly in the UN, certainly in the World Health Organization, that this is a means of achieving grand designs uh, that I think will be hugely detrimental to our personal freedoms. And I think to the extent that Merrill's right that um, Maybe it's David talking about the frog in the boiling pot. You know, if, if the temperature is turned up incrementally, and and look no further than what happened in the in the what I call a pandemic 1.0, the COVID uh, uh, pandemic of the past couple of years, we gave up our freedoms incrementally. How was that accomplished, though? Partly, as David said, it was because uh, Tedros's outfit was calling 
you know, medical organizations and, and institutions and governments around the world and telling them, um, we're recommending that you do the following. What was the following? The following was basically the China model. And it was so-called the China model because it was what Xi Jinping and company had instituted in China. It was not consistent with our pandemic response plans. And it certainly was not consistent with our constitutional republic and the freedoms that we hold dear. But we accommodated to it because we were told to do so by the authorities emanating initially from the World Health Organization, which at the time was just an advisory body. But the point of this whole conversation, and thank you for showcasing it is, and the program that we did uh, you know, on Wednesday, it is not about health. It is about power. And people are getting wealthy on it, yes. People are getting more powerful as a result, yes. But the rest of us are going to lose big time unless there's a course correction. So tell us about the sovereign coalition, sovereignty coalition that you started, Frank, because I mean, people need to know that there is something that they can do. Merle has said, you know, they need to contact all of their uh, elected officials. That's one thing. But, but give us the vision of where you're going to take this war. Well, we started it and, and these folks were in pretty much at the ground floor with a group of people who uh, brought different skill sets, uh, some like Marilyn David, uh, extraordinary medical practitioners. Uh, some were attorneys, some were, um, you know, policy analysts, some were grassroots activists, um, subject matter experts, what have you. They came together out of a belief that the sovereignty of the United States is we're fighting for, uh, figuratively at the moment, uh, through the normal uh, processes of, of, for example, having the United States Senate, as I said earlier, advise and consent to anything that would take away our sovereignty. And these two documents 100% would do it. And as things stand now, if you can believe it, Christine, neither is going to be submitted to the Senate or acted upon by the Senate. And one of the people who headlined our program on Wednesday was Senator Ron Johnson. And he's come a long way, baby, too, because when we <laughs> talked to him a couple of months ago, he just couldn't believe that this was as serious as a problem as it is. But you know what happened? I, I think, like you, Christine, a, a lot of liberals are, uh, a lot of conservatives, I should say, are liberals who were mugged by reality. Ron right. Johnson was mugged by the reality that he went to the United States Senate floor and he offered an amendment to his colleagues to make sure that whatever comes out of this process in the World Health Organization would be treated as a treaty that required, you know, the constitutional process. It was defeated when what every Democrat what voted against it. Pardon me? Do you know the figures on that, Frank? 49 to 47 was the vote. Who abstained? Uh, I don't know that they abstained. I think there was an absence or two. But uh, one one Republican, I think it was Todd Young of Indiana, voted uh, with the Democrats because he was managing the bill and he had some parliamentary reason. But every other Republican voted not to allow these things to go into effect on all of us permanently without any buy-in bias, let alone approval. And uh, the Democrats all said, no, we're not going to do our job, period. Wow. Wow. All right. So one of the things that I've learned uh, traveling around the country, and this has to do with the book bannings. A lot of times people get upset because somebody wants to ban these cartoon pornographic books and they don't believe that they're in the library. And then when they see them, they say, oh, that's a lie. It's not in the library until they see the, the stamp from the library in it. So... I want to I want to go back. I want to go back to Merle to we need to talk about that this is a reality. So we know that when this was not a topic in 2020. All right. We knew that, you know, Donald Trump had said, OK, no more points of the WHO. But this particular notion of uh, supporting turning over the health sovereignty to the WHO just was not on the map in 2020. So we know that when Biden came in, there was somebody in HHS, I forget the woman's name, but she's head of global something or other, some division at HHS. 
they came up with the amendment. So explain to people, because I think people have to realize that, yes, this actually was taken upon by the Biden administration and how the process came to, because uh, James Roguski was the one, the first person I knew who had gotten a hold of the amendments around April of 2022 that basically landed on my plate. And I said, well, we have to do this Sunday show every week because we have to focus on the fact that this is actually happening. So explain to the public how that came about, Mo. Okay, so the WHO has, since at least 1969, had something called the International Health Regulations, which tells nations what they can do in the wake of a particular infectious disease outbreak like cholera or smallpox or typhoid. You know, these are the vaccines, these are the drugs, here's how you handle things. Um, those international health regulations have been amended a few times over the years. And they were seen as a mechanism by which global control could be initiated because of the nature of this document and the fact that the WHO has its own constitution, legally, there was an avenue by which the globalists could take power. So the United States was absolutely part of this from the very beginning. And Lois Pace, who was head of, of global affairs at HHS, brought forward 12 amendments in early um, January of 2022 to amend the international health regulations. And all the nations at the end of 2021 said, oh, we need a pandemic treaty. So we don't have the same problems with the next pandemic that we had with this one. Everything about the claim that we need these documents relies on false claims, false information. One being that doing the same things we did during the last pandemic is going to make the next one better when in fact it made it worse. They controlled the drugs you needed and they gave and saved, you know, locked everybody down for a year until they had a vaccine that was untested, unsafe, and ineffective. And has actually over time increased your chance, if you were vaccinated, increased your chance of getting COVID. So um, WHO wants to do this again. We also wasted many trillions of dollars on the pandemic response. And so now WHO and the US government are saying, well, we have to spend hundreds of billions to save trillions. Of course, we didn't need to spend those trillions. We could have just let everybody do what they wanted to do, go to your own doctor, get treated the way they wanted, and we wouldn't have had this mass, this pandemic economic you know, disaster uh, as it occurred. The other thing that the WHO wants to do is they want pandemics. We don't, we don't understand exactly what their plan is, but they are directing nations that they must go out and look for what they term potential pandemic pathogens, PPPs. And when they find them, they need to do genomics research on them, identify this, the genetic sequence, and then share them with the WHO, which will share them globally. That means you're actually proliferating potential biological weapons, what biological warfare agents. And all the countries are going to have them. So then when the next pandemic comes around, you can't put your finger and say it started in Wuhan because everyone's going to have the same bugs, the same viruses and bacteria. So a pandemic's going to occur. Nobody's going to be guilty. And then the WHO is going to tell us what we must do. Um, that this will give the WHO the power. I mean, I'm sorry. I sound like a crazy person. This will give the WHO the power to actually create the pandemics and then create the solutions and deliver <laughs> the, the right um, industries or the right companies to produce the vaccines and the drugs and the PPE and whatever else the WHO says. But then, as, as I pointed out before, on top of that, by using this concept of One Health, which is being pushed out to public health agencies around the world as a very good thing, by invoking One Health, the Director General will be able to control food, control our access to water, control pollution, control climate, et cetera. And so this is, is just very, very big if we give them this power. And the United States is pushing for it. It is the third world, the developing nations, that are fighting back and say, wait a minute, you promised you would give us vaccines and drugs and PPE and we're not seeing it. 
we're not sure we can trust you. Look what you're doing in Gaza. The developing world is destroying a tiny developed country, Gaza. Um, they may not go along and we have to encourage the developing nations to not go along with the developed ones whose henchmen have already been paid off to go along with this plan. Well, Merle, you don't sound crazy to me because I interviewed Dr. Dennis Carroll in July of 2022, who's part of the coronavirus world that goes out there and overseas. And he's also part of the One Global Health. And these are the guys who actually go out to look for the coronaviruses, take them to the labs, use them on humanized mice to see if the, the virus is transmissible to humans. And then so that they can create countermeasures. David, when did the WHO get into the bioweapons world? Because we need to talk about this. The bioweapons, you know, you have treaties all over the place and people will argue with me about whether well, there's good and there's bad bioweapons. I'm against bioweapons because I think it can get in the hands of madmen. And then all of a sudden we end up with something that's really, really crazy. But when did the WHO decide that they're going to get into this? So, yeah, in a way, they didn't decide to get into bioweapons, but they are pushing, what we're saying, they're pushing for the dissemination of um, the information and the the actual pathogens mm -hmm. um, and transfer of pathogens for these purposes. So we need to remember, you know, I, I said there were two in the last century, two natural pandemics, which the WHO recognises, that is, um, in the 1950s and 1960s, there were influenza pandemics. They killed 1.1 and 1 million people, respectively, which is not that much more than flu normally kills. So there weren't huge deals. That's in a whole century. Things like SARS-1, they killed 800 people. You know, that's less than, it's a, something like a third of the number of people who die in the United States alone from cancer every single day. You know, these are tiny things, these small outbreaks. So they are, um, you know, but they're not into bioweapons, they're into um, trying to control all this information and trying to disseminate. And there's, the reason for this is because, uh, as Merrill mentioned, the, um, the, the, you know, the, the, the economic losses generally from the last pandemic were in closing down essentially productive people. They, they locked down the world, including people who make money and pay taxes, who we knew from the very start were at almost zero risk from COVID. And they, the, the, the people who benefit from it are the people who saw the vaccines, saw the commodities, they made unprecedented amounts of money, trillions of dollars. So it's a huge wealth concentration event, the, the, the largest recorded in history. So the, there's all sorts of incentives for the people running this to do this again. The COVID was almost certainly a lab leak of a gain of function um, pathogen. So it, it's not a, one of the natural pandemics. It's due to human interference with pathogens. Right. Almost certainly the, you know, the, the US pretty well accepts this now, the, the security agencies. So we're, we're talking about, you know, so the, the, the WHO is a tool for people who want to use these sorts of methods to concentrate wealth further. And the WHO, the UN itself, um, there's a bunch of other agencies and public partner, public par, um, private partnerships, which are significantly taxpayer funded, but which essentially increase the profits of their private partners. And the, these, or you know, the, there are all sorts of the incentives for these organisations to capture politicians, to capture the media, and to push this line. So. And I agree with Frank, it's not, you know, it's, there's also geopolitical issues in this, you know, this has worked very much in China's interests, etc. That there are, you know, there are dictatorial regimes in the world and there are for-profit um, corporations who have very strong vested interests in reducing human rights and in reducing into both individual and national sovereignty. And that's what we're seeing, they're using the WHO, they're using the, um, the false threat really to a large extent of um, natural pandemics to actually push that further down the road. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and then I'm gonna come out and Frank, I'm gonna come back to you again because I'm gonna ask you about the political side of this.
world leads back up. Well, that's a little technical glitch on that one, but it's okay. It's a, it's a skinny commercial. Um, all right. So Frank, why is it, do you think in Washington that people do not understand something as evil as this? What is it? Because, you know, people used to be able to recognize evil. They used to say, no, that we, never again. They used to say, uh, you know, because of the Holocaust, people people would get it right. But this is something that, for whatever reason, is it money? And, and David, I want you to weigh in here too, because you know, I would like to think, and Merle, I want you to weigh in here too. On, um, you know, I'd like to think that the medical community was not as corrupt as it is. Politics wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't scummy the way it is. But what we're seeing now is an affirm a denial it's not an affirmation it's a denial of reality well again senator johnson said this in the course of our symposium um there's a phenomenon known psychologically as uh, cognitive dissonance uh, people don't want to see what they don't want to see you know they're, they're just not going to um, confront a reality that in this case uh, suggests that they were wrong. They were wrong about taking the jabs themselves. In some cases, they were wrong in insisting that other people take the jabs. They were wrong about um, creating conditions under which, if they didn't, they were punished, as, as uh, Merrill and, and other medical doctors have been. I, I think that's part of it. Um, but, you know, you mentioned something that I think is the context that we've got to be clear about, Christine. There's a lot of evil in the world at the moment. I mean, I think we go back a long ways, as you say, mm -hmm. but uh, I don't know of a time that is more dangerous than the present from various quarters. And therefore, even even people who are open to dangers such as the idea that uh, a stealthy kind of uh, effort underway to take away our sovereignty, it would be a very evil thing, are, are preoccupied with other uh, evils that are more obvious, that are that are more imminent, uh, and that uh, perceive perceive they perceive them to be more uh, more dangerous. But I think I think fundamentally the biggest problem of all is just that the vast majority of people have no idea this is afoot, and that's not an accident. That's by design. Um, the I Biden administration the has been concealing it at every turn. Uh, when they come forward, they 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 try to. You know, hide the ball as much as they can. When pressed by Congress, they they're uh, they're very very cagey. But the reality is that um, this is now uh, the moment of truth. We've got approximately six months, as Merrill said at the outset, until this is basically a done deal, one way or the other. Uh, either they they outvote us if we actually were to object, or um, it's all done essentially with silence as consent. And then there's a time afterwards uh, on the treaty, at least, that theoretically we would have a chance to, you know, uh, complain or oppose it. But basically the die is being cast right now. And if we want to do something about it, we have to do something about it right now. And, and could I just make one further point, please? Yeah. Because it's really important to what's been said here. Uh, we've talked mostly about the World Health Organization and pandemics and the, the problems that, you know, they can justify just about anything by claiming it has to do with health. The reality is that these documents will broaden the scope beyond mm. pandemics. That's it's true. anything that constitutes what they call a public health emergency of international concern. Merrill mentioned Gaza. Right now, Tedros Cabrasis is saying that this is a health emergency in Gaza. People may even say it is a health emergency in Gaza, but if Tedros Cabrasis is able to, in the future, tell 
governments like Israel, you will cease doing what you're doing because I will cut you off from uh, world resources or any nation, including the United States, that would be sending you military aid uh, to fight this enemy of yours. That will not be permissible because that compounds a health emergency and I have the authority to prevent that. Or, or alternatively, here in the United States, gun violence is a health emergency. You can bet he sees it that way. And what do you expect is the likelihood that one of the things he will, if given the power, uh, interject is not only is it a public health emergency of international concern, but it must be dealt with in the following way, including the confiscation of weapons. From law-abiding gun owners. You're right because because they they're linking the the weapons to mental health as well, opposed mental health to or we, physical we... violence that creates actual health costs. You know the the right. problem is the abuses of these kinds of authorities are absolutely predictable, and we're not being told that that's being teed up. You said at the outset by a wholly unaccountable bureaucrat. Who isn't a medical doctor, for heaven's sakes? That's right. He has on top he, of everything else. And he was also investigated by the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria, and was found to be a crook when he was the Minister of Health in Ethiopia because he claimed that some of the hospitals had electricity, windows, and running water. And when the the IG investigators went out to the sites, they had none of that. Look, he's a communist who's been accused of terrorism, too, when he was That's in true. Ethiopia. He's a, he's a bad dude who was selected for this job, going back to what I ordered to this list of, you know, people uh, who are perpetrating all this by the Chinese Communist Party. Let's talk about that, because this week on Wednesday, uh, President Biden's going to be at the APAC meeting in San Francisco. He's supposed to have a, you know, sidebar diplomatic um, tea dance or something with, with Xi. Frank, you've been studying, you know, China for a long time. You're, you're sort of my to-go-to man for China. What's your take on what's going to come out of this? Because, you know, right now between Ukraine, Russia, Gaza, Israel, <clears throat> it can only be tense. They're not going to talk about trade, I don't think. Do you? I think what they're going to agree upon, not just talk about, but actually agree upon, is that uh, what Janet Yellen telegraphed the other day is going to be the, you know, uh, mutually uh, agreed arrangement going forward. Namely, we will further, uh, well, engage, re-engage with the Chinese Communist Party for the purposes of helping prop it up during a rough patch. Uh, a, a friend and colleague of mine, and my colleagues may or may not want to go there with me, but since you asked, um, Sam Faddis, who you may know, Christine, mm -hmm. um, former CIA undercover operative used to recruit and run agents for the United States uh, CIA. And he says, look, in the technical jargon of, of the trade, Joe Biden would be characterized as a controlled asset of the Chinese Communist Party. And a meeting like this would be, <laughs> accordingly, an asset meeting. Mm -hmm. where his handler is basically going and saying, all right, these are your tasks, go do them. And the difference between a controlled asset and a non-controlled asset is, the difference is, Twain used to say, between lightning and lightning bugs. A controlled mm -hmm. asset is somebody who works for you. A non-controlled asset is, is a liability. So I think it's pretty clear what we're going to get out of it is whatever Xi wants to get out of it. And it will be dressed up as some you know, great diplomatic breakthrough for uh, Joe Biden's presidential campaign, but it will be betraying our country further, uh, including, I think, in this case, the World Health Organization. David, let me go back to you for a second. So in September 2021, um, I received the documents that really convinced me of the commitment by the Biden Foundation that they were in 100% for the development of these coronavirus seasonal shots. Because in the Office of Technology, I think it's Science and Technology at the White House, these were dated that the um, policy of the Biden administration was to have mandated, the business model was to have mandated seasonal coronavirus vaccinations. And at that point, that, that, that convinced me, okay, this is not some myth. This is actually a platform 
this is part of their policy because it didn't come out of an agency. It came out of the White House Office of Science and Technology. Is this what we are to expect from all the other nations that are buying into uh, this WHO quagmire? Well, we, yeah, we're certainly <clears throat> looking at a, a, a vaccine response to all of this because that's the easiest way to make money out of it. Um, you know, it's hard to see why else everyone was forced to wear masks or even why the lockdowns occurred. There is no public health justification for lockdown. WHO's own documents from pre-2020 pointed out exactly, you know, that, that we would have these trillion dollar harms, that we would have these increases in poverty, etc. So from a public health point of view, none of these things made overall sense. So the the only reasonable assumption is that it was to ensure that people were scared enough and in a position that they would accept um, very profitable injections. And the, the 100 day vaccine program, which we didn't mention, but that's part of this um, pandemic preparedness agenda, um, will bypass further the normal testing and the normal regulatory pathways, which we bypassed for the COVID vaccines. And you know, the, the, these lockdowns will be followed by um, the injections, a 100-day vaccine, and that, 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 that will be your way to get your freedom back. So I, I think, the, you know, the, the, I mean, the, the idea of a seasonal COVID vaccine is pretty ludicrous. Um, coronaviruses cause a common cord. COVID is pretty much there now. Um, the, the variants now are much less variant. They're, they're not very different from the normal coronavirus. You know, you, the, no medicine is free from side effects. And there's theoretical and demonstrated very significant side effects with the coronavirus vaccine. So why would you give such thing to a healthy person who's almost zero risk from the virus? It just doesn't make public health sense. So I think this comes back to there is other influences which have been guiding this. It's not a public health response. All right, Merle, you wanted to talk, you wanted to, at the beginning, before Frank joined us, you, you wanted to bring up um, bioweapons. Bio so I actually want to talk about two things. Um, okay. I don't know if you're able to share my screen, but I've put on my screen a list of 32 different ways we, the people of the world, are being attacked by globalists. And I think one of the reasons people don't understand what's going on is they see all these individual problems as um, separate rather than part of a much larger plan. Um, so I hope I hope you can show that. I can't do that. I don't know how to do that. Um, when it comes to tech, I'm I'm like, you know. Okay. Well, let me just say. We'll, we'll, we will, we will we'll get it from you and we'll put it on, we'll put it on the, uh, on the site. Okay, great. Um, the other thing is that, so by a lot, the United States, initiated a treaty to stop biological weapons from being developed and used in 1972 under Nixon. And mm -hmm. that treat, but then the United States backpedaled and never allowed that treaty to, to be strengthened with inspection provisions and punishments if you went against the treaty. Um, and in fact, someone that Frank has had on, um, Douglas Fife, was one of the thinkers in the uh, Defense Department who, who felt that the treaty, the Biological Weapons Convention, could be interpreted to allow the development of, you know, biological weapons for peaceful purposes. In other words, you create a new virus because you want to develop a vaccine against it. Um, That's, that that is their business model. That is, that is, that's, that the, is. that's the justification for doing gain of function research. However, um, former CDC director Robert Redfield said, to his knowledge, that had never led to a single drug or vaccine or therapeutic by doing that. So, what we need to do is get rid of all gain of function research. And I don't know if Frank is familiar with this aspect of, of Doug Fife, but perhaps he can talk about the, the, in order to strategically end biological weapons around the world instead of encouraging them, which these documents do, 
what do we need to do to develop a regime that will end biological warfare for all of us? Frank, you want to take that? Well, it's a, it's a question I, I don't have an answer to, and I don't think anybody does. I, I think if I understand the history of uh, the Biological Warfare Convention, uh, it, it was probably not just a function of the United States government uh, backing away, but that nobody actually has figured out a means of verifying biological weapons developments. I, I remember when I was in the Pentagon, I actually shared an office with Doug Fight at the time. Um, I had a briefing from a, a specialist on biological warfare from the Defense Intelligence Agency, and he came into my office and had a small closet in the corner. And, uh, and he said, you know, you could have a biological weapons manufacturing kit inside that closet. And nobody walking down the hall would know that it's there. So, and and witness what we discovered in uh, in California a few months back in terms of a Chinese facility here in the United States that at least had the potential to be a BW plant. So I I, I think the problem, and I, I will talk to Doug about it. I I don't know what his uh, his position was on the idea of uh, gain of function research being a legitimate and desirable activity. I, I certainly don't think it is. It's just I, I don't honestly have any uh, confidence that we could come up with a regime that would be worth a damn in terms of keeping the Chinese or the Russians or the Sudanese or who knows who all else from manufacturing whatever they wanted in a little closet like mine, for example. So it seems like you could do it in a closet, but you if you do it that way, you're putting your scientists at risk and they don't want to be killed by the organisms they're studying. So you need high containment labs and those can be regulated. Well, the, the, but Merle, that goes to the fact that we have, there are about 34 countries, I think, that have labs right now. And we have, and then they talk about, you know, having the security of uh, lab two, three, four, five. But the truth of the matter is, and this makes a lot of sense when you think about it. The definition of a lab two security in one in the in in the United States may be different than in a third world country. I mean, I, I take a look at COVID now, and I think it's extraordinary how Pfizer and Moderna all of a sudden they got into building labs overseas and plays. Moderna's got two contracts in uh, Australia. Pfizer has one in Israel. Pfizer has one in Rwanda, and this is, I think it's to take it away so that it's its out of sight, all right? But the, the same people that are involved with these, and I call them countermeasures. This was, if, if, and I do believe now it was lab leaked because everybody that's in the coronavirus hunting business was involved with the cover-up in the Lancet February 2020 article and in the March 2020 Nature article. So these are the guys that ran the, the PREDICT project under the auspices of the um, USAID at State Department. And then, the, the, you know, they want to do this public-private partnership. When somebody mentions the word public-private international partnership to me, I, I don't know. I mean, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know one that hasn't been corrupted in all the years that we've been covering this, uh, you know, because whether it's the Clinton Foundation, the UN, there's always a money issue with that, every single one of them, including the one to fight uh, human trafficking. So I, I just, you know, I think this has all of the red flags that nobody should be going to whatsoever. I think it's very, very dangerous. And, and it'd be interesting to, to, to get Doug's thoughts on that because he has been talking about that for quite for many years. Look, yeah, so I, the, I think the, the World Health Organization is the ultimate public-private partnership, and as David said at the beginning, it, it, it's uh, corrupt through and through, and, it, and, it's, and it's working for uh, interests other than the public interest. But could I, could I just emphasize something that Merrill sure. said, because I think it's so important here. What they are baking into these agreements is a mechanism by which every exotic uh, you know, pathogen will be posted on the internet and disseminated worldwide. I mean, how could anything possibly go wrong with that? And the answer is everything can go wrong with it and will. Yeah, yeah. no, it will. It, it's like it's like opening the door to Frankenstein. You let him in, you can't get him out. And on that note, guys, we got to go because we're running out of time. But uh, anybody wanted to say one last word here? 
Okay. I, I'll, just, I'll just actually mention that. Yeah, and I'll just mention that um, one thing we haven't touched on, but we should sometime, is the censorship issue. Because in the end, truth, you know, you're asking how do you stop evil? In the end, truth is the enemy of evil. And that's why we see more and more censorship. Absolutely. And, and they are going to engage in censorship as part of the World Health Organization. Yeah, exactly. exactly. That's true. Tedros has come out and they're going to have their own fact check, you know, enterprise that, it will yeah. do, you know, I'll say day and they'll say night and then, you know, I go to jail. And that will happen to people because Christine, they want to weaponize it. You're so right. It's surveillance, it's monitoring, it's censorship, and it's enforcement. And all of that is being put into the mix here. And it's just a scandal of the first order that this isn't, you know, top of mind, top of the, you know, agenda, whether it's in the campaign or whether it's in the uh, public policy arena more generally. So thank you for helping to bring it to a light. And, we need and, if, more and if we all wanted to live in China, we'd move there, but we're not there for a specific reason. Amen. All right. Thanks, here. guys. We'll have Thanks, you back. Thank you. And keep, keep us informed because, I mean, we need to know how to how people need to know how to move forward on this. And, and we'll be covering this very, very tightly between now and December. Great. God bless Thank you. you. Thank you, Gus.